coming at you from Scratch and Wolf Studio. It's that time again to rage across the internet. Your very favorite Werewolf Apocalypse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Porter. To my left, we got my co-host, Mr. Daniel Tyson. Hey, everybody. And across from me, once again, Tommy Dixon. How you doing, brother? How's it going, guys? Going well. How about you? I'm here. It's yeah. recording day. Yeah, everyone loves recording day. Bye. Absolutely. Well, it's actually show day for them. So, happy so, like, they podcast don't care. day. They don't care when we record. It's when the... No, they don't. <laughs> but it's a good day. <laughs> it is a good day. As long as we have a recording, they're happy. I get it. So, things are going good, for sure. Got some good feedback on uh, the new season three, the new music. Yes. That's kicking in the last. You guys are liking it. That's great. Yep. The, just the premiere of season three by itself. Fantastic. We don't know yet, but hopefully you guys enjoy the hell out of the Attack of Malfies, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Because... It might be a little bit relevant to today. Continuation. I'd call it a spiritual three-parter. We're going on a spiritual journey. We're already in the middle of it. Yeah, we're still on the yeah. spiritual journey. Yes, exactly. In the middle, being number two, number one last week, three next week. Is that what happens next? <laughs> he can count. This is the show we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> before we get into it, of course, we want to talk real quick about, we. you know, we got our Ko-Fi. Yes. Which is going strong, and uh, we appreciate those supporters. Keep your eyes open for the store, because there will be some new products soon. A couple new shirts, uh, things like that. There's going to be some more of the I Can Soak It. Maybe some more I Ain't Forgot Shit merchandise. <laughs> Love those. Right? Other than that, you know what to do. You know, you want to show your support uh, monetarily, you know, join, join that Ko-Fi. Get some of those awesome rewards. If not, you know, give us likes. Mention us, talk, just talk about us a lot. Just, just like you know, like, like we're like we're the new girlfriend you can't get over, and you're just like super into her, and you just annoy all your friends by talking about her. Do that with us. <laughs> I'm on board, right? I, I want to be the new girlfriend. That's right. Just be like, oh man, Danny on the podcast said the weirdest thing the other day, and, That's you know, and just just now, yeah, just like that. He wants to be the new girlfriend. <laughs> That's now a soundbite. Great. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to get through that real quick, and maybe we'll re-mention it there at the end. But uh, I do want to dive into this. Yes. It was arguably the most important event in the history of the Gaur Nation. So arguably the starting point, the beginning of the end. The moment when the Gaur had truly lost the battle to save Gaia. I speak now of the fall of the White Howlers. But who were the White Howlers? What did they believe in? What did they fight and eventually die for? Today we explore that fallen tribe, but unlike the fallen warriors we're going to talk about, we're not going to be doing it alone. So let's all welcome back our very good friend, Weaponized Inc.'s own Mr. Kaysen Snow. Kaysen, how you doing? Not too bad. All right. Welcome back, Kaysen. Right. Great to have you. <laughs> Sorry, it took like four, yeah. so yeah. Sorry it took like four minutes to get you in here, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, guy, there's an hey, intro. I know. <laughs> it was unveiled. It's worth the wait. Absolutely. See, thank you. And hey, first guest of season three. Hey, there you go. There's a title. Right? Hold that one proud, man. And over, over catching over up to Grant. That's right. <laughs> you take that Grant. Catching up to Grant's numbers. <laughs> Suck it, Grant. There's <laughs> another soundbite. <laughs> Just kidding. How much as he's helped us, I can't do that. I mean, I did, but I shouldn't. So, but you did. <laughs> but I did. And now you can't edit it out. Nope. Nope. Thanks Man, for we talked about it too much. Yep. Take that. <laughs> That's fine. But hey, enough about him, more about Kaysen. Um, Again, great to have you back. Uh, how do you feel about the White Howlers? Okay, so originally White Howlers were 
they were the mythical wolves that became the Black Spiral Dancers, and everyone and their brothers in the 90s wanted to play the lone white howler that's come back, you know, that's been bred back oh, yeah. through accidents. And so they actually were somewhat of a thorn in my side early on because you had to constantly deal with that one player that wanted to play the one white owler. But now fast forward 20 years, we get the tribe book and they actually are decent. They took some different directions with the white howlers. Uh, and I thought they were pretty good. Uh, they were a good addition to the, the lore of the other tribes. I definitely see where you're coming from there. And I mean, I got to definitely have to boost the signal on that, that snowflake gamer who wanted to be, the last no gamer. Oh no, it, it totally was. I Pun mean, it, intended. It was it was always um a good indicator of the kind of player you had. You know, that, that guy who needed the spotlight, who needed to make the game about him, and you could tell that because they wanted to be that special thing. I mean it's the same thing where like you make a character who's oh it's Elbrick's secret cousin or it's the Margrave's son. Like, no you're not, shut up. Uh, oh boy. You know, so the I mean the White Howlers were a big and, and there's a level where it's understandable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the picks are just cool. I mean, oh, yeah, I agree. That, number one. And then there's that whole redemption angle. The idea of, well, I can be, we can turn the tribe around and get it back. I understand that appeal. doesn't turn that no into a yes. No, it doesn't make it a good idea. <laughs> right. But I can understand that appeal. And I mean, it's the White Howlers. There's a reason this was, I mean, we had a time for this little three-part thing. But mm-hmm. there's also a reason that the White Howlers had to be last for our little Lost Tribe series. Correct. Because they're the ones who got all the attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to say deservingly so, but like... But you get it. But I, exactly, I do get it. Right, I mean, narratively, the they're there the most. I mean, the Bunyip were sort of weird things that were really ill-defined up until really late in werewolf history. And, you know, they lived in weird Australia. <laughs> the Croatan were just wiped out you know, in that sort of misty 18th century North America that we really don't cover a whole lot. And, but the White Howlers, they become, I mean, they're there from the very beginning. They were mentioned, you know, lockstep with the Black Spiral Dancers. They were always talked about and tied together from the very get-go. So, I mean, deservedly or not, they were there from the very beginning. No, absolutely. Yes. You know, and people... People like that that redemption story. That oh, idea yeah. of uh-huh. being the one that can fix it. I mean, I mean, to this day, this still happens. People they want the White Howlers. They want they want them. They want them here. They want to bring them back. They want to be. And I've talked about why I've I've tried to do it. You know, I I wrote that chronicle or half wrote that chronicle specifically about that, and then abandon it because it's a bad idea. I mean, you you realize because once you do it, the story is always going to be about continuing that arc. It's no right. longer about anything else. Exactly. That's all the game becomes about at that point. And you take away the rest of the game if you do that. But now with the tribe book, you can actually go back and play a game in the past. You can. That is absolutely you an option. You play a white howler, you play them when they're written. And I think the, the writing of this tribe book helped with some of those people who really want that redemption arc. Well, maybe, but I mean, I think the worthier part is it gave us a greater look into the tribe, so we can sit here today and do this episode. Yes, that, that too. Because the tribe is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, not that this is the only, the tribe book is the only place to do it. They give you the tools you need if you want, like, an Iron Age game. You know, they, they talk about, 
you know, the different, uh, the different tribes of the region, you know, agriculture and way of life. And, you know, they, they cover all of that stuff, which I don't imagine we're going to do a whole lot of because this isn't the history channel. <laughs> and there's this other more relevant to the Garu Nation stuff to talk about. Garu History Channel. Oh, I would I'll, watch I'll try keep, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'll Casey. try and keep my History Channel uh, commentary in check then. Well, you give, you give what you feel is necessary. I just, I know the three of us around this table are not prepared to go History Channel. <laughs> sure. I mean, Kaysen with Savage Age, I'm sure he's the History Channel guru. Guru, thank you. Yeah. So, I imagine it might be a little difficult for you not to go with and see how you can cover certain things from Savage Age when you talk about White Owlers. Sure. Well, I'll also keep that to a minimum because we're talking about the White Howlers and their tribe book. That, that's fair. There will be other Savage Age episodes. Oh, yeah, I know. We're <laughs> coming soon. We're not hiding those, we promise. They are coming. <laughs> if you, you want to hear Case and wax on uh, about, uh, about Savage Age, you're going to get to. <laughs> but not today. Very true. So, I mean, there's plenty of places to start. But uh, unless... You've got something earlier, Case, and I would, uh, I think probably the first place to start would be the Great Winter. Yeah, I mean, the, the best place to start any story is at the beginning. So um, we're, we're talking the Ice Age. Yes. We're, right. The Great Winter is the Ice Age, um, as they call it. I just think it was a really and, cool name for it. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I, that might have to get yoinked in Savage Age, um, to be quite honest. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when you go through the tribe book, it says like Ice Age once. So it's like, is the Great Winter the Ice Age? Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind, I mean, of, right. it is, so it's kind of implied, but it's, you know, it's still looking for that. It is the Ice Age. Yeah, let's confirm that. No, it is. It's the Ice Age. Right. And in fact, it's the last glacial period, which, you know, has a bunch of different names. The one that matters for us is like the Verma Great Glaciation in Europe. So that's, you know, the, the big glaciers come down. Britain isn't an island. It's actually the northwest corner of an area called Dogerland, which is basically drain the North Sea in between Scandinavia and the British Isles, and you have Dogerland. And that's a whole new land to, to explore, um, which you could do as the White Howlers during the Ice Age. Reading through it, it was, it was pretty good coverage. The one quibble I had was talking about hunting... Aurochs and what they call elk, which actually we know as moose. Um, those words got flipped when they came over to the United States. Hunting them on the glaciers. These glaciers that covered Europe at the time were 10,000 feet tall. Nothing lived on them. So you would hunt the foredge of the glaciers. The terrain was there. There's all these rivers that they're starting to map out under that are now under the North Sea. But there were lakes and there were rivers and you know, there was a major river that, like, the Rhine and the Thames all flew into and flowed out the now English Channel into the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. And, I think, and I think I've gone on a wide tangent, so <laughs> rein me back in if we need to. Well, I, we can do that. Uh, to bring that a little more specific, I think something, um, one of the first things there is that it, it was during that time that the tribe became divided. Divided how? I, I guess the short version is camps. Hmm. You know, obviously is... The ice age was happening, food was becoming scarce, survival was a problem. Mm-hmm. Especially for the kinfolk. Right. So you had the vast majority of them left. They migrated. They left. We, we got we to gotta go further south. This is inhabitable. We have to move. Right. Now, not all of them did. 
And we'll get into the, the camps maybe a little later. Okay. But this is kind of where those came about or where that started. Um, it's also where they got their majority of their interaction with the other Garu tribes. Okay. That is making more sense now. You know, that that's where, you know, they, they met the, the Fianna. And, you know, they had that a pretty good relationship with the Fianna. But, and I think this is funny, is that the White Howlers kind of had a problem with the Fianna's reliance on Faye. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Fianna were weirded out by the Howler's relationship with the dead. <laughs> but yet, they had that relationship between each other, and yet these, it was kind of like, I trust you, but only barely? Yeah, like this, is, this is a little weird thing that you do. I don't like, you're doing a lot of it, and maybe I'm not going to come over so often. It even yeah. took them a while to even gain that trust. I mean, they even stated in the book there was a hundred-year war with the Fianna, as they tried to, as the Howlers tried to migrate south. They've fought the Fianna. Predominantly over kin and territory, which, big surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had no food and their kin were dying, so. <laughs> right? I don't think Tom heard you. Territory. You just wanted to put a head on that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, and before we go further, I want, I want to take a step back, because I did mention the relationship with the dead. And then we just left that hang there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, um, something I thought was neat about the Howlers, you know, is they talk in, that tri- in the tribe book about the, the duties of the Gaur Nation, you know, first and foremost, but a secondary duty placed upon the different tribes. And for them, they were kind of the stewards of the dead. You know, we know in the world of darkness, and according to Werewolf, you know, death is not the end. You go back to Gaia, you're, you're recycled. Spirits reborn, and, and yeah. you do it again. But we also know that uh, Boo Get Out ghosts exist. Uh-huh. Just ask a Strider. <laughs> oh, yeah, they know. Spirits of all sorts hang on, and it's it was their job to usher them along, peacefully or not. <laughs> That's up to them. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, you're right. So they were the Grim Reapers. Mm, kind of. Kind of, I guess. You know, it Guardian was the, Angels. So, so, so the, fancy, the fancy two-penny term for that is a psychopomp. Psychopomps are something that help spirits travel from the living to the dead and to allow them to you know, go on to their final rest or however you want to talk about it. In the White Howlers, for example, to convince the dead to re-enter the, the reincarnation cycle and, you know, have Gaia recycle them. Or, yeah, if you're, I mean, if we're going to bring in Wraith terminology, if the if the Wraith is full-on Spectre, then just kill them because hmm. they're, they're worm-eaten by then. See, I was going to say the Howlers were like, hey, you know, this is happening. You decide if we're in the paper tomorrow. But I think yours is probably the better way to do that. So, <laughs> so I thank just, you. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you meant it this way or not, but like his, when he said it's the two-penny version, it just kind of reminded me of like the different lore of when they, the spirits are ushered on to whatever their final resting place is, and they put the, the pennies in the eyes. Right. <laughs> yeah. It just reminded exactly. me of it all. It's, it's all. You said it was the, the two-penny version of it, so. Yep. <laughs> all right. Jesus. <laughs> We're good friends. <laughs> friends like you who need fucking enemies. Oh, it's going to be like that, huh? <laughs> Keep your enemies close. <laughs> you know, give me those notes back. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> but I, mean, I felt that was important. You know, you just drop that, oh, the relationship with the dead and then not go back to it. Yeah. And in that relationship, historically weirded out everyone. Understandably so. Well, I mean, I, for for Gaia's stalwart defenders, they kind of get weirded out by shit pretty easy. 
Which they shouldn't. Now the Bunny Pef pouches, that's weird. Let's murder them. <laughs> that's why. That's why they murdered them. That was, that was, yeah, War of Tears. Spoiler alert. It's about the pouches. Red Talons were like, motherfucker, I want a pocket. <laughs> Somewhere I can hide my clave. That's right. It's my mobile backpack. It's my fanny pack. Oh, no. But, I mean, the, the Ice Age um, was a huge... Thorn uh, in their side. Yeah, I mean, it was... And it's the, it's the bummers. They, they don't have a long and vast history because they fucked off about, uh, you know, the early 200 AD. Mm-hmm. So, it's a good chunk of their history. <laughs> Where they're just constantly being pushed from their lands, warring over territory to just try to stay alive. Right. Um, you know, they did predominantly with the Fianna and the Getafenrus and the Furies and the Talons, and that was... And the Silver Fangs as well, but we'll get to those people soon. I mean, eventually they stopped warring. They would take peace. And they would learn from all the other tribes. Sure. And eventually the Ice Age did end. And um, according to their legends, in one of the most baller ways possible. <laughs> and Tom, I'm going I'm to send that to you because I know... <laughs> I enjoyed reading this part. Yeah. And that was uh, Tearlock the Tailspinner. All right. This Galliard would wake up every day and tell tales, Helios, every morning. Good morning, Helios. I'm going to tell a tale about you and how awesome you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to preface that this was, these were tales about kissing Helios' ass. Oh, yes. Okay. Every day. And Helios would pause just to listen and then continue on his day. Right. It would be like, oh, oh by the way, we're already deuces. Yeah. Helios just leaves. He hears his story. He leaves. Every day. Every day. And then eventually, obviously, they're, you know, with the cold and everything, mm-hmm. this, this person's dying off. They're, they're getting weak. So one day, Helios actually begins to talk with the tail spinner, going, uh, it was, what was it? It was, um, she was like, this could be my last story because I'm about to die overnight. So putting that little grain of thought in his head, like, oh, nobody's going to kiss my ass every morning now? <laughs> so he paused longer to talk. So he stayed in the same spot in the sky, paused, and talked back. And this is when the tail spinner said, oh, I've got him. And then kept spinning the tail as in, I can't tell you the best story because I'm going to pass away. Keeping so, him paused in that spot. Was he tricking Helios? Essentially, well, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is just so he would stay longer in the sky and is, this is what caused the... The melt. Okay. What a smart Galliard. <laughs> oh, yeah. And apparently about how long it took because... It, Did you it know, until he died. Yeah. He spun a tail every morning until he passed away. And okay. Helios paused for so long. Waiting for the person to tell their tale, but nobody was there to tell the tale because he passed away. But he paused so long that the melt happened. Oh, so when he did die, he he paused even longer, waiting for his tale, his morning tale. tale. Jesus, right? Um, you know, Helios is not the brightest crayon in the box, by the way. <laughs> no, no, aggressively not. <laughs> no, but I love how that, that, that whole pun? process worked. You know that you know a talich would keep trying to go. Yeah, like it sucks. I might not be here tomorrow because there's no food, because there's no warmth. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I just didn't give a shit for so long. It's uh, such a great play. And I liked it. It was a nice variation on the whole, you know, how, the, how you got the Sun to Return stories that having just written the Korax chapter for Savage Age, you know, they used the tried and true, you know, the sun went off to, to pout in a cave and we brought a mirror and he we were throwing a party because there was a new son and we tricked the old son to come out because he was jealous. And, you know, well, 
where did you find your mirror in, in the Ice Age? Um, <laughs> Costco. But this, was, this <laughs> right. So this was a neat spin on that, and kind of you know drew upon like uh, Thousand One Arabian Nights kind of thing, where you keep telling the story every day, every day, every day to stave off you know in Thousand One Nights your execution, but in the the White Howlers, they're you know bringing life back by tricking the sun to stick around. I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's a, it's a great move. It's a great story. Oh, and, cool. and while we're on it, it's nice to be able to tell that it's something that the White Howlers accomplished <laughs> other than fucking up. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, they, we know what they did, and that's I, I, really I, all we know. Well, I mean, I mean, bottom line, up until the, the tribe book came out, the White Howlers were most famous for becoming the Black Spirals. Yes. So it's nice to have something good to say about them when they were on Gaia's side. <laughs> Hey, they were fighting the worm through and through at all times. They, they were, I mean, they were badasses. They were. I like that, though. They were such stoic warriors, and that's all they cared about. It's their job. They took it serious. Well, they definitely did do their job. <laughs> Sometimes too good. <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. And we don't structure this, so fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> we script things here. We, we really don't. We no. take some notes that we read off of, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but what what happened to them and how it happened to them. Mm-hmm. And that tale has not always been told the same. I was going to say, there's like three different, I don't know about three, but you're playing telephone. I mean, what do you expect? <sighs> and see, I, I grant you that, and that's something, because look, there's, there's the lore side of it, mm-hmm. that in-game this is what this is, and yeah, it's an old tradition, so maybe shit gets fucking, mm-hmm. stuff does get telephone, bottom line. You play telephone with six people, you're not getting it right. Do that over, you know, fucking generations. Yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50 generations, yeah. Exactly, certainly. But then there's the information side, the storyteller side. Mm -hmm. Here is the info. And when that doesn't line up, that can be a problem. When that gets changed, that can be a problem. You know, it's not a problem when it's, oh, I heard the legend this way. Like, no, 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 I need the information about it. And it says four things. And they contradict. Yeah, so which one do you believe? Yeah. Right. So, okay, so I guess you know, we go back to last week when we were talking about Melfi's, right? And we did the three different versions. Right. We have, you were looking at Book of the Worm, first edition. Yep. I was looking at Book of the Worm, second edition. Then we have the White Howler's Tribook, which is part of W20. Right. Is it three different things? It's three different things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew that answer, but. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's three different things. <laughs> And I, I'll have you one, too, is I also cracked open the Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth. Is it four different things now? It's three and a half different things. Okay, there we go. So they used half of one of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it, which half did they use? I, it's more akin to the first edition, the, the original stuff. Okay. And even then. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, is, is, is we're sitting here kind of all over the place with how we're talking, I think, I, I think the research, at least for me, kind of went like that, too. You know, that Howler book, all by itself, is so dense, and there's so much information in there. It's like, where the fuck do you start? Mm-hmm. You know? It's like going through a tribe book. It's, I mean, it is going through a tribe book. We've done the tribal series. It's going through a tribe book. There's a lot there. I think there's more, though. Which is why we started reading from multiple sources here. Well, there were definitely things I wanted to make sure we touched down on. You know, I wanted to make sure that we hit those uh, the other source books to get more about, uh, say, Karurik, for example. Who? <laughs> we have a show here? No, no, I... Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Okay. <laughs> well, Kruvik is um, a pretty central figure in the White Howler lore, and he's he's not mentioned, I think, anywhere near enough in the book itself. Talking about the tribe book. About the tribe book. Okay. Yeah. He's like Visa, man. He's everywhere you want to be. You look at the sources, you're going to find him. Haruric was a, a legendary warrior. You know, he was a mighty warrior. It's widely accepted that. He was a member of the Sky Shaker pack. And, you know, the thing about Haruric is he was a, you know, he was a, that pack, the, the Sky Shakers, were the pack that went in to the portal. They were the, they were the tip of that spear. And, and this is first edition. This is first edition. This is past lives. This okay. is Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth. Oh, okay. This is, gotcha. This is the understood until a point. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I know it's different in yeah. second edition. Right. But more specifically, he was the one who came back out. Just him. Just him. Pack. Just him. His pack, you know, and it was a large pack. Um, as, you, as you gather sources, you know, Werewolf 20, or specifically the Howler book, mm-hmm. you know, talks about how it was these events, the, the, the discovering of this portal or whatever, that drew the tribe together in a way that it had never been before. And so packs had become these mighty things that were like the size of sets. An entire pack was that big of a size. They, they came together hard over this, as hard as they could. Other factors are going on, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, they, they went into this portal, you know, in, into Malfi's. To the Temple Obscura, to the Black Spiral fucking Labyrinth, <laughs> and he came back alive. The only one. Yeah, it was him who traveled south, who went to the Fianna, who went to the everyone who would listen to tell the tales of what the fuck happened down there. <laughs> you know, eventually, of course, he was tracked down and destroyed by his pack because you know they're not the same anymore. Right, he was the only <laughs> one to not come out of Black Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> but what's to make him not crazy? Because he was there long enough. The voices. Was he? <laughs> oh, they, there's no set timeline? No, no. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> this shit just happened. Okay. You know, so Karurik was a big deal because of that. You know, again, this tracks their Worm 1, the Howler Tribe book, and the Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth, past lives as well. So that's like four different books that go, Karurik, he's the man, and this is why. Okay. So now I can see why you're saying three and a half. Half versions here out of everything we've, not everything, but out of the set list we had. But then you look at Book of the Worm Second Edition; it's not even close. To, well, I guess it's kind of close to that, but it's not the same. They were mentioning that there were it was rituals that they were cubs being sent like on spirit quests because they found the darkest realms of the Umbra, and one of those realms just happens to be the Spiral Labyrinth. These spiritual quests were not only to defeat foes, because obviously they're warriors. The more foes, the better. But it was also... <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing at it because of how different it is. Mm-hmm. But it was also how much further they can go down each time. And then also, as it's happening, Banes are slowly corrupting them. And they would slowly corrupt their uh, the Picts and the other kinfolk. Outside of the labyrinth. This is a good idea. <laughs> so what they're Some trying to they're trying to get knowledge? Is that what the, is that what this is? Partially, yeah. You were saying something, Kason? Yeah, some of it I think plays into sort of the overall theme of the White Howlers is that they tend to like to swing first and ask questions later. <laughs> yes. I can get on board with that. Uh, 
And, you know, they found this, they found the Black Labyrinth. Now, no one knows what the Black Labyrinth really is at this point. True. So they've, they've found this place to go, and they know it's worm corrupted. I mean, you can, everyone has sense worm at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you can tell it's not a nice place. You know, they go around and they ask the other tribes, they say, hey, you want to go in and fight the worm? And the other tribes are like, uh, no, we're busy here. You go have fun. And they're just like, well, we're going to do it because that's what we do. We do things. We don't necessarily think about the ramifications first. We're just going to do this. And the first group gets, you know, through the first circle of the labyrinth and comes out. And they seem okay, but they know there's more. Well, there, if there's more, there's more to conquer. There's more to defeat. There's more foes. And we're not going to stop until we get to the very center. Because, we're, yeah. because groups of wolves of Guru have not fallen to the worm before. The impression that I get from reading this is that, you know, if worm corruption in the Guru is either non-existent to this point or happens on such a one-off basis that it's more the stuff of legends than anything that can happen to me. I mean, we're the greatest warriors in all of Europe. How could we fall? And there's so much to unpack from that. Right. No, I, um, I love how he's saying it that way because I'm very much getting that same vibe when it comes to what I was reading in, from Book of the Worm 2nd Edition. Definitely from 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. But this, this is where things this go around. And we, we talked about this on well, both of the other Lost Tribe shows. Correct. About how the fall of each of those tribes was a lesson reflected in Renown. Mm-hmm. How, how the fall, you know, the War of Tears was a lesson of the lack of wisdom. Croton, a lesson in honor. And the fall of the Howlers was supposed to be about... It was supposed to be your glory lesson about just recklessly seeking that glory and just throwing your dumb ass into that great unknown. And in the different editions, it takes it away. It, it takes it away a lot. Mm-hmm. You look at the second edition version where, hey, you know, they've discovered this black spiral labyrinth and they're just playing there. That, that beca- the lesson becomes, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Right. But at the same time, and I know where you're going and I want to hear it, but they would say things like, the tribe wasn't destroyed from without, but corrupted from within. Well, that's true, and that's another thing, though. Y- yes. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of layers to, to what, what we just said, what, what Kaysen brought to us here. There, there's a lot of different avenues to go through. So to start just with the legend of it, mm-hmm. and how that those second edition changes harm the legend, and then you look at um, the, the 20 stuff, and the 20 stuff talks about those who didn't heed the call. Mm-hmm. Now, as you read into that, it, it does explain a lot of that, but there's a level of, of blame there. <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's the Fianna's fault and the Get's fault. Yep. And, you know, How dare they not come to us when we asked? Yeah. Right. Especially early on in the tribe book. If you're reading the, the White Howler book, Cole, you, when you start, you're like, oh my gosh, the other tribes were total jerks and they just left them hanging. You have to get way back into the book where they actually talk about the other tribes and giving their reasons as to why they didn't drop everything and run after these weird hairy guys up in the north. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, there's, there's a level of we're the victim oh, attached initially. But yeah, when you, when you read on and yeah, near the end, it talks about, well, no, these tribes had other shit. They, they have other, they have real problems. They had shit going on too. 
You know, it wasn't like, oh, who are the howlers? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> right. It was like, oh, no, we've got like a Civil War thing going on here, and then this is happening, and there's the Roman and the fucking the Romans. We will get to the Romans. We're almost there. Right, yeah. You know, never mind, we're you know, right in the middle of Roman expansion, so dance cards are pretty full. Right. And really, if we're going to do that, and I don't, on a normal day, I really don't, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But just for fun. Sure. Just for fun today. It's the Silver Fang's fault. <laughs> you going to give reasonings? The Romans. The Romans. Okay. They were, they, they were. <laughs> they left them to their tendency. I mean, you remember it in the tribe book, don't you? They were all hopped up on Rome, dude. Yeah. That's how I'm choosing to phrase that. They were hopped up, hopped on, up Rome. on Rome. Like goofballs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Howlers were fighting, you know, aside from the vampire influence in Rome, you know, and the massive, the, the Fomori and those armies, you know, the worm influence in there, but also the Silver Fangs. So it's the Silver Fangs' fault that the Black Spiral Dancers exist. Uh, that's awesome. Again, not on a normal day, but just for today. Yeah, sure. Just for today. Because there's a level of truth to it. I see what you mean, yes. You know, the, the Silver Fang's involvement in, in, in Rome and the Glass Walkers, being hip to that, it's there's... it's a factor. Because when we, we talk about corruption from without and from within, and I guess this is where we're going now because it's a good segue. Sure. The Howlers, and this is according predominantly, but not exclusively, to 20, is that the kin were corrupted by worm forces all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, there were the, the Fomori mixed in with the Roman legions. And then there was the stuff that snuck in. Um, you know, it snuck into Caledonia during, as things were being reformed, as the war was going on. The worm struck at the kin. And for generations, I mean, they would infect the land. You know, Banes would infect the land. They would possess and knock up um, white howler kinfolk. Corrupting bloodlines for generations. This went on for generations. You know, it, it stunted and warped and disfigured their kin. Mm-hmm. It fucked up holy lands and crops and livestock. You know, they got screwed hard. So hard. <laughs> I don't care what your name is. They got the Romans coming in from the south, and then from their own borders in the north, the worm is corrupting from within. Screwed. Oh, yeah, they were definitely screwed. Definitely a pincer tactic there. There comes a point, you know, even as they're, you know, showing the Romans what fur. It doesn't matter. Because, again, generations of kin corrupted, tainted. I have to say it again, there's just so much to go through. Right. But I see some of it as the White Howler's own doing. When they decided to gather up all of their guru, or the vast majority of them, and run south, and hit the Romans where, you know, hit them, they left Caledonia undefended. They certainly did, but in their so defense... So the, the worm found it much easier to move in than, say, had you continued to leave some defending forces behind, but you packed it all up. You went over the wall and left yourselves exposed. Once again, coming back to the whole, not necessarily thinking things through, I I take your point, but in their defense, as you brought up earlier, the idea of a a worm, I guess, invasion, for lack of a better term right now, on that scale was unheard of and ridiculous at the time. And... No, I get what you're saying. And where were invaders going to come from? I mean, for spiritual matters, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you look at the geography. You know, if you send all of your white hollers down to Hadrian's Wall, where is anyone else coming in from at that time? 
Exactly. Well, that gets into the, the made-up Underdark that everything comes up through. Certainly, but we didn't know about that. Right. I mean, we being them at the time. I know what you mean. So, like, I totally get where you're coming from, but it didn't make sense for that to happen. That would be like, um, you know, removing man-made structure. Uh, us here in Michigan being attacked from the north. I mean, first of all, Canada, so ha-ha. But, <laughs> like, there's some water there. Right. You know, if you remove man-made structure, you know, the bridges and the tunnels right. from that equation, no one's coming from the north. No. Getting easily spotted if they are. Certainly, but, you know, I mean, we got more than the Great Lakes. We're yeah. talking over there in, you know, Caledonia. So, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's no reason they could have anticipated that. It's fair. i give you that. Sure. Yeah, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I, I, yeah, you're right. There's some truth to that. Blame the silver things. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it's it's not exclusive, but, but, but go ahead, Kason. <laughs> and now you only need to blame a certain house of the silver fangs that actually joined with Rome, conquering Claw. The rest of the fang tribes, or, or you know, houses, houses, were still in in you know terra incognita, according to the Romans. You know, if you're in the Slavic lands, they the Romans didn't know about the Slavic lands. You know, they knew about Scythia, but that was out in the same areas where you had the the dog-headed people and the people with no heads where their faces were in their chests. And, you know, it was all kind of made up a stand. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so which house was it then? Conquering Claw. Okay. Conquering Claw was, was the house that, that allied with the Romans. And to me, they would perhaps be worm corrupted as well because they allowed. I, I can't imagine Silverfangs allowing, or any Guru allowing Fomori to serve in their armies unless, unless the Concrete Claw stuck around Rome and, you know, you're going off to Britain. It's, it was an island of ghosts. It was a haunted island. You didn't go there to. Well, you went there to make a career, but you didn't go there to live in luxury and whatnot. So I don't know how many Silver Fangs actually would have made it to Britain in this in this period, unless they went with colonial administrators and interacted more with the Fianna, you know, the, from Hadrian's Wall South and the Romano-British. And, and it's possible. And I mean, at that point, we'd be cross-referencing two or three other tribe books, and we didn't. <laughs> no. Let's be we honest. Didn't. We did not do that. <laughs> That would have been like 10 books open at the same time. Right. But, you know, again, we talk about Conquering Claw and, you know, what happened to them. So they're, I mean, I guess they got theirs, I guess. But, <laughs> and they got what they deserved. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just saying, if they maybe if they weren't all roamed up. Well, oh, yeah. You know, and it's not to say, again, it isn't just the Silver Fangs. I mean, we make the joke because. That's what we do is right. we make jokes. <laughs> yeah, because welcome to the show. You know, Rome was also. Again, severely warmed up and very leached up. Yes. So And trying to expand. So the Fianna, the Geb, the Red Talons, they all had their hands full. Right. Which, again, is partially why... No one calls, came to that call. Right. And, you know, they talk about... I believe it was the Howler book. And, and I say this to, to, to our friends out there listening, is I've had my nose in five different books researching for this. <laughs> <laughs> all in the last 24 hours. So... If I'm crossing where I pulled some information from, oops, I'm sorry. But, you know, they sent out a couple waves of, uh, what even then I'm getting ahead of myself. Because once they discovered, you know, once they got done dealing with Rome, more or less, mm -hmm. 
you know, and they had discovered what has gone on because generations, you can't really, but now it's time we can take care of this. So they called their people together and they started sweeping north to cleanse the corruption. And when I say that, we're talking about putting down their own people in record numbers. Which is nuts to think about. Right. We're talking about raising, you know, just setting fire to corrupted land and killing off family lines because of what's become of them. This isn't happy work. No. But it's what must be done. And so they finally get north. And it doesn't say, but I want to speculate, and probably wrongly, that this was near the Sept of the Maldive Lock. But, because uh, it's not specific. Okay. And I think I just want to. I don't think it really does. <laughs> I mean... But this is where they found the tunnels. And this is where they found this portal to Malfi's. Mm-hmm. And, again, if memory serves from where I read it, according to, to White Hollers, right, or just 20 to make this, to make our lives easier, Easy, yeah. they were going to rush into this. This comes with the changes again. They were going to just rush in and, and win the world and White Howlers woo. <laughs> and were stopped. And were yelled at for entertaining the idea. And so they sent... They 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 experimented. They like sent groups at a time? They, they would send like a scout in. They would have the Thurges meditate and do different rituals. Um, I, I would go so far as to say their version of scientific research... <laughs> And what the fuck this thing was and how it affected people. I mean, they, they kind of unanimously came out with this as bad news bears. This is a portal to mm-hmm. the worm itself. And so they left scouts there. A couple Thurges and some scouts and maybe a couple Ahrown in case. Mm-hmm. case something comes out. Mm-hmm. Well, they went and did send out the call. They went to all of the, the howlers that weren't there. They, they sent representatives every way they knew how to get to these other tribes. They sent out the call. The call wasn't answered. So then they tried again on an auspice level. They okay. sent, you know, to speak Ahram to Ahram, Thurs to Thurs, Ragabash to Ragabash, Philodox to Philodox. No Galliards. They didn't send Galliards. Didn't send Galliards. Interesting. And I mean, the first four would come back with nothing. Oh. And I mean, that second time, they even, they even bent the knee of it. Like really? the Ahram show up like, oh, look, <laughs> we got this problem and we're not hiding from it and we're going to take care of it with our heads held high, but we need some our blades are dull from all the battles we fought and our shields are broken and we could use your might to help us mm. take care of it. Okay, you know what I mean? There we go. Yep. If Thursdays are like, yeah, we're all really dumb, but you're really smart. You should be smart with us. Did it ever cross their mind to close the portal? How? They didn't they knew so little Figured. about it. But but do that instead of march on it. Maybe. I mean maybe they tried. There's only so much we know, yeah. right? Again, you have an entire you're a warrior tribe at this point. And they And then there's the concern, keep in mind that if the portal opened, it could be opened again. It's not we're excited to go down there, it's what's gonna come out of here. We can't leave it. Mm-hmm. And again, if it could be closed, it can be reopened. It opened somehow. What do you do? And that's what it came down to, according to 20. Uh, it eventually was that there's no we, we don't have a choice anymore. We're going to rally. We're going to do it. We're going to kick ass. Absolutely, because we're awesome. <laughs> but we're not happy about this. Mm-hmm. This is bad news bears. This is a bad time. And I mean, that defies your second edition. We like to play down here. 
they're trying to gain knowledge, and that's taken out of a different tribe book. Or the first edition, they, they kind of say it um, that it was, they were kind of yanked into that dark pit. Oh, really? First, they yanked? Yanked. They used the word yanked into, into <laughs> the dark pit by, by the inky black tentacles of the worm, only to emerge in their insane incarnations. Now, I'm sure they didn't mean literal, but mm-hmm. maybe they shouldn't have chosen those words. <laughs> But you see how each way, it there, there's a difference here. There, there's a difference, but there's still a little bit of shred of truth for each one. Absolutely. Could be, at least. Absolutely. And again, I for me, the problem comes with the message. I am fine mm-hmm. with the truth of the matter being 20th version. To me, it's the version that makes the most sense. Well, again, and, and you're such a big advocate of it, of the lessons learned from those three lost tribes and the renown that we get for it now. its It was a parallel that you just can't ignore. Agreed. So, as long as the legend stays the same, mm-hmm. and what we're talking about out of 20 becomes that secret knowledge of what really happened, I'm fine with it. But when you start painting the narrative as, well, the White Howlers were great, and the nation's terrible because they asked for help, and they told everyone, and everyone ignored them, so it's not their fault. Yeah, that, change, yeah that changes that lesson entirely, and that's ridiculous. Okay, some thoughts? Yeah, no, I I mean, since you mentioned the parallels between the renown and the, the three fallen tribes, it's completely taken over my my thoughts on it, too, and that anything kind of contrary to that, like you said, diminishes the sacrifice and the narrative power of those three stories. So, like you said, I 20th seems to be the most put together, which kind of makes sense. You've had 20 years to think about it put together narrative and I would use that as the foundation and you know first edition had some weird ideas in it and the sort of the victimizing of the white howlers didn't play well I think yeah and that's that's the thing um, I think if if there is a failing in 20th edition 20th it just sounds weird to say <laughs> and if there's a failing in 20 just as a line in general I, I think when they when they have made their retcons or their tweaks, it's always in a way to kind of vilify the rest of the nation. Mm. Right. And, and that's, that's something that irritates me because like uh, we, we had someone in discord the other day say, you know, the Gauru are not heroes. It's like, well, yes, they are. They're, they're just not superheroes. They're not Superman standing with the shining teeth. They are heroes. They're the only ones trying to avert the end of the world. They're the only ones doing it. And the ones who give a shit about the world ending. And tried and doing some. Now, how they go about it isn't always great, and of no, course they have made be messy, right? And of course they they make plenty of mistakes, but that doesn't mean they're not heroes. They're the Punisher. They're not Superman. Things are going to get bloody. Things are going to be morally gray. That doesn't mean they're not the good guys. It means it's the world of darkness, and the world kind of sucks. They're the heroes Gotham deserves, if you will. There's a good line. Thank you. That's a very Shadow Lord answer. Thank you. <laughs> and it's just the thing that bothered me. Like, you don't have to be a good guy to do the right thing. Yeah. They're the protagonists. They are the heroes. I'm sorry. And even if you are doing the right thing, it could just be a very messy way of doing it. Right. But it's got to be done. Yeah. And that's okay, and it's always been that way. But, you know, I think that's a thing in 20. If there's, if there's a failing, I think there's there, is that they want to make the guy the bad guy. And it's, it's not that simple. There's plenty of games you can be the bad guy. Sure. 
this is a game where the world is about to end, and you fight and die eventually to, to stop it. right to stop it to prevent it for another day or mm-hmm. two. The the level of sacrifice and dedication to know that you're going to lose this war, but if you do your level best and live a good life and eventually die painfully in battle with all your friends, that maybe you prevented the end of the world for a week, and that was your contribution. And you want to paint these guys as the bad guys? I don't know. Am I, if my, am I, if I'm not here, Casey? No, it's part of it is, you know, projecting, retro projecting. The Guru Nation has made some questionable decisions in the past. Absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily make them bad people today. That's absolutely. I, I, also, oh, also, you know, Werewolf is the game of savage horror. Yes. You're, you know, if you want to play the shiny paladin, there's plenty of other things, other games that you can do that in. You know, your your good guys here, you're fighting an existential war on three fronts. So you're going to have to make decisions that aren't necessarily best for everyone. And you you have to work with what you know, you know, information-wise. You, you might not, you know, kind of looking back on the White Howler saying, oh, well, why, why did they all run south? Didn't they know something was coming from the north? No, they didn't, because they were acting in that moment. They don't have the advantage of 2,000 years of, of being able to look back on it and go, well, that was a boneheaded move. We shouldn't have done that. You know, that's, that's something I like to bring up in the Discord every now and then. Yeah, when, when someone will, and I'll be like, well, shockingly, the Glasswalkers didn't have the benefit of reading, reading the Glasswalker Tribe book or the Book of the Weavers, so they didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Always love that one. Yeah. <laughs> right? if, if only someone had handed Go Go Fangs first a player's guide. Yeah. How, how dare he not know this information before he rushes in there? Right. No wonder the White Owlers fell. You jerks. <laughs> Don't you know any better? Right? They're coming from the north, guys. It's in several editions of the books. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, exactly that, Casey. That's, and I know we just we got a little off topic there, but I think it's... It wasn't... This is our terribly game. off topic, though. No. It makes it's all relevant, and actually, why we're why we're there before before we move on because there's plenty more, plenty of different things and facets. So there's bouncing around. We're going to be doing, but um, something I really wanted to talk about. And this is relevant to uh, something I was talking about last episode. Oh, okay. Uh, when we were as know, far as the the fall here. Or? Well, as far as number two goes. Oh, it's time to pepper in some more of that theory. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because what I want to talk about right now is in the Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Okay, chapter one is. In case you are uh, you all, well, are you versed on your Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth by chance? You bet. I have my original copy. All oh, beautiful. Nice. Danny lost mine. Oh shit! Nice. <laughs> I never had that one. I know. <laughs> Jerk. Just I just to can't find there. it. I want to blame someone who's not me. But uh, <laughs> like how he picks you over me. I'm closer. It's it's <laughs> <That's> why. <fair. laughs> um, now the Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth, the first chapter, it it, it talks about uh, it, the, the letters of a Roman soldier who was uh, riding with a Pictish kin named Brennus around 280, so around the end of the White Howlers. Okay. Okay. The Brennus, of course, was a White Howler. Um, okay. Uh, but he had allied with this Roman, these Roman soldiers for one last attack on the Black Spiral Dancers. 
Now, we know they didn't win because there are Black Spiral dancers, mm-hmm. and I don't want to get too much into that story because it's a fascinating read. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Fair. But during this chapter, they bring up a Machmach. This is a M-O-C-H-M-A-U-G-H. Okay. It's a very spiral name. Well, the context is it's framed as a land, but you have to keep in mind is the context is also in a letter of a Roman soldier sending back home. So once we mm-hmm. read between the lines here, it's framed as like uh, maybe a Cairn name or a sept leader, perhaps. Right? right. But in the notes of the chapter of the Chronicle of the Black Labyrinth, there's some meta there, so stick with me. it's mentioned that it's based it's probably based on a personal name one closely associated with the eater of souls Uh okay what the fuck are you talking about porter well for one thing it's it should be mentioned that um the well the chronicle presents the name spelled again m-o-c-h-m-a-u-g-h there is in fact a machma spelled how we would spell it that shows up in rage cards as a wormish ancestor spirit oh but Beyond that, if you start to cross-reference with uh, who's who among the werewolves, the, the Garu Saga, you'll find page 33 is the tale of Makma and his descent into the Black Spiral. Which way is this one spelled? As, as you would intend. Okay. But again, I don't think those uh, spelling differences are so relevant when you consider the different eras in the translations. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Now, yeah, the, page 33 you'll find the tale of Makma and his descent into the Black Spiral. Now, it's said in that story that he's confronted by a chain ghost dancer of yore and told that none had gone further than he had gone in the labyrinth, Mm. to which he uh, continued on, only to be allegedly devoured by the worm itself, and in so perhaps becoming an incarna? Mm. Now, we established last week Uh that number two had gone further into the black spiral than anyone had before. Uh And here we're presenting the tale of Machma, who devoured by Eater of Souls. By the worm itself for going further down the black spiral than anyone had before. Hmm. So is Machma number two. Perhaps. But there's also another uh, another candidate, which we'll get to next week. Perhaps not. And we'll... <laughs> it's a good little Fucking story off, seed, though. Dude. That, <laughs> is, that is, because you're pulling sources from a lot there. That's a good little story seed. Perhaps he is. Perhaps he's not, and we'll talk about it again next week. <laughs> Yeah, there's more. T- Son of a bitch. Here's how he writes this. his stories. You're I not know. used to this? No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys I'd be peppering this theory out for the three, to the three episodes. So next week, when we talk about the Black Spirals... I wish you would wait to the end of this episode to do that. It well, would be awesome to end on. Maybe, but we were already here in that era. That's fair, yeah. What do you think about that, Casey? <laughs> I mean, it lines up. And it ties into the Black Spirals as well, because by the, by the time you reach the fifth circle in the Black Spiral, you're already as deep as people go, and you're a spiral by then. Right. So whether he was a white howler or a, or a Black Spiral dancer, there's no difference at that point. Exactly. And again, he was allegedly a spiral, or he was a spiral, when he, he went back into the spiral in the story presented in the Gairu Saga. Okay. Right. And we know that there are nine layers to the labyrinth because number two mm-hmm. had done nine layers. So if five is as far as people knew before and we know about nine, it's entirely possible that mm-hmm. Machma is number two. 
but I came to that with digging. Yeah, you dug. You dug a lot. That's, and again, that's some cross-referencing. That's going back and forth between two, three, four, five different books at this point. And the card game. and the car- Jesus, yeah, the card game. That's too. just icing, honestly. It's true. But there's a card. Yeah. And it, certainly an incarna could uh, pose as or, you know, as an ancestor spirit. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, was, it would have been an ancestor spirit before it was devoured. There you go. Oh. Or you, it Jason. would be, you know, a lineal ancestor. If you are a white howler, you could become an ancestor spirit. So the rage card with the icing and what, what Jason just threw on was the sprinkles? <laughs> yeah, why not? I... <laughs> or the cherry. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That too. Well done, Jason. <laughs> that, that's what you pay me for. Wait. Oh. You're paying him? About that. <clears throat> Isn't the, the check's not coming? You, you weren't supposed to mention that in front of these guys. Very good. I Sorry, they they just take that take care of that in post play. Post then. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <She> said, <laughs> edit it out. They won't remember. Yeah. Especially the guy editing it. <laughs> it's like taking the forgotten, it's fine. What were we talking about? Exactly. Well, we were talking about a neat thing about the White Howlers. <laughs> Is that they get paychecks? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But it was that regardless of their skin or hair color in Hamid. All white howlers have a snowy white pelt in all of their forms. Which is awesome. Blend in really well in that Arctic uh, tundra. At the time. Yeah. I know that's not related at all to what we were talking about. No. But, but it's a cool thing. <laughs> well, somebody going to throw that in now. And that <laughs> struck me as interesting, too. I mean, they, they spin it in the tri-book as, you know, their adaptation, the, the white with the gray markings, so that they blend in with the snowy terrain. In one of the Silver Fang books, well, I think all the way back to first edition, they talk about their, the purest bread have the whitest pelts. They are the most Silver Fang of the Silver Fangs and the best of the best and the most pure. And the white coat is the, the ideal guru. We remember that so, in the Silver Fang episode, yeah. yeah. That, that comes back to their mantra of, I can't breathe poor people there. <laughs> So, you know, how does that play in, you know, interactions between the White Howlers and the Silver Fangs when they're, you know, at, during the, the Ice Age, their diaspora? Well, you know, you know I'm, I'm, sure the, I'm sure the Silver Fangs would be taken aback by, hey, who the hell are these people? They're not ours. Yeah, you know, I mean, speculation here. But I, I, I got to imagine that the, the Silver Fangs would be offended by these, quote, Mongol Garu possessing <laughs> white fur. Which would, of course, taint their greatness because reasons. Right. It just it sounds very Silver Fang. Yes, it does. You know, Silver Fang's fault. So you know, it, it is. <laughs> that's all people are to take away from this episode. I know. You know? <laughs> yep. And that's the bad part. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like I give I give the silent the, the silent striders no end of show. I give Shoe Horace no end of show. I was gonna say you mean Shoe Horace, but nobody. Nobody attacks. Like, oh, you, what are your hate the sound strip? But no, this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, people are going to get some shit for this They're one. Gonna get shit, yeah. Every, every tribe gets shit, goddammit. I was going to say, you give. I give every tribe shit. Every, yeah, every <laughs> single time you've given every tribe shit. And that's all people will take away from it is you gave their favorite tribe shit. Except for the talents. Yeah. Who got the Corex treatment because I was so enthralled <laughs> with that book. They got the free pass. <laughs> 
Anyway. <laughs> Someone's going to take away from this. The only tribe Porter likes is the Red Dance. <laughs> oh, boy. Even though you are glyph to yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, okay, let me uh, <laughs> catch my breath back. Yeah, from all that, I mean, um, I guess, you know, something else is, is their litany. They have their own litany. Well, they do. I mean, it's it's largely the same litany, but there, there are some alterations to the tenets. They actually twist it in a good way. So they twist it to make it easier for themselves? They twist thing? it to make proper sense. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's a bold statement. So, but only the Howlers do it. Yeah, it's how it's because you know how each tribe has their own litany, the way they transcribe okay. the litany. Yeah, their interpretation, I guess. And then okay. when you factor in the era, in the isolationism, this was the only litany they had. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is it through their eyes. And Casey, you're hip to this too, yeah? Yeah, I, I really like the, the spin on this. I personally think all of the tribes at this time would probably have their own phrasings and perhaps twists up spins on things that you could take from the, the different tribe books because uh, they all view sort of the different tenets and emphasize different, you know, tenets of the litany depending on their particular outlooks. But I do like the, the way the white howlers look at the litany and the rephrasings of some of the key tenets that we're all familiar with. Well, Case and Tom, how about uh, you guys lead us into that? Teach us, teach us some lessons. Teach you some lessons. Well, one I really that stood out to me was just respect territory. That's, that's it. You know, res- obviously respect someone's territory, but this mm-hmm. is just respect territory. Respect everyone's territory of Gaia. Okay, fair. They just, what do they make it, they dumb it down for you, or what? I don't know if I want to say dumb it down, but there's, there's, a, there's definitely a beautiful simplicity to that. It's, it's Gaia created places for all her children and gave them a duty pr- to protect those places. So respect that person's territory. Just respect territory. Okay. Just short, sweet, simple. Yeah. One of the other big ones we talked about, be merciful. Mm. This was one of the bigger twists. To take a life right. when and there's no hope of redemption, that is mercy. Yes. Jason? Right. Uh, that's exactly where I was going to go. It's not just granting mercy to a defeated opponent. It's that if someone cannot be redeemed, to kill them and free their spirit to be reborn in Gaia's cycle is mercy. But it is not merciful to kill someone that could be redeemed. And, and that I find crazy amounts of ironic. A little bit. That knowing the fate of the White Howlers, that be merciful was something that was such a... I mean, it's, it's part of their litany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that, no, you could become an ally if we... If. Mm-hmm. You know, making my enemy my friend. Damn what a loss that that was part of their philosophy and then to have this happen to them. I was gonna say, as soon as you, as soon as the word ironic came out, I saw your eye, like, oh shit, <laughs> yep. When we always stumble over in times of war, leaders must be obeyed, is the way they take that one, and then the other one, it is in times of peace, weak leaders must be challenged. I like how they twist that. That's it's way more specific and in a good way. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, it's those subtle differences that. Really make makes a, difference. a big difference yeah. because the litany's so vague, and then they they twist it to where it's not it's not on those vague points anymore. Like you have your specific, this is how it should be followed. Well, I suppose, and you know, to to piggyback off uh, what Casey was saying earlier, 
that, you know, especially in this time, probably all of the tribes had a, a litany similar in terms of the changes, mm-hmm. you know, which is a spectacular sentence. Go Porter. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> we know what you meant. But, <laughs> so in the modern but, age, where we, the litany falls down, is that it was written by committee. I would, yes. A bunch of a bunch of guru elders all got together and said, all right, so whose interpretation is right? And what do we get rid of, you know, kind of like editing certain holy books of the, of the modern day? <laughs> Never heard of them. Uh, <laughs> but you're, you're, exactly, you're exactly right. That's exactly where I was going with it is, you know, it's that old adage that a camel is a horse made by committee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you never heard that? No. No, I've never heard that. Yeah, camel's a horse made by committee. When everyone gets their say and has to get their pitch, this is what you end up with. Trying to make a horse, you end up with a camel. Huh. You lose that original vision, you know, the, the fucking heart of it. And I think that's exactly it. Is, you know, this modern litany is, is that mashup, you know, way back when. You know, the Garu Nation's litany rather than the litanies of the individual tribes. And you lose something there. Because this is pretty well to the point. How do you argue that litany? The one presented in this White Howler book. you very hard to ragabash your way out of this stuff. Right? Almost like that's a, uh, a spoiler for what's ahead. Well, now you're giving that away. Yeah, good job. Could have been some awesome foreshadowing, but Frylock Baby had to have it, didn't he? The foreshadowing of what, Border? We're not going there. <laughs> Nothing to do with the White Howlers. So. You're right, so that's why it's done. <laughs> Jerk. Any other points on the litany, gentlemen? Uh, the last point, um, the last word of the litany sort of sums it all up. Combat the worm where it dwells. And right that's what makes the howlers the howlers. Nice. And why they do what they do when they knowingly march or, say, dance the labyrinth. <laughs> well done. Oh, the very first sentence of it, too. This tenet of the litany is at the root of all we are and all we do. Yeah, it's, it's something I love about them, too, is they are, they are a very hard line. Going back to the Garu Shinami with Garu, you know, you read that and they totally condemn it. Like, at every fucking level. Mm-hmm. But, um, what, what is it? The, um, they're, they're Take not... Take not mates from your own is what they call it. Yes, that's, which I like the sound of that, too. But, but it's also that their philosophy on it, they talk, I think, and they, they talk about how, like, the Fianna had been known, and sometimes still do, it depends on where you are, to, you know, you 86 the parents, you get rid of the kid. And they mention in there that that's not really the way you want to do that. It's uh, not the kid's fault. Right. What, what's the quote in there? Is it, in, you know, you don't break the spear just because you find out the blacksmith stole the wood. It's a uh, little bit of a paraphrasation. Is that actual audio? No, but that's a cool quote. <laughs> yeah, that was elsewhere in the text. It's not in the litany section. Yeah, it's but not. It, My bad. It's the same thing, yes. You, you know, why wreck things when the sin's been committed? Move on. Right. And the other thing, too, they mention is how with, with the Metis, child, uh, the, the result, the Metis, that they get a chance. They, they get the chance to prove that they aren't their parents. And that the sins of the parents... Don't, okay. Yeah. They don't reflect I appreciate on, that. Oh, the sins of my parents aren't what makes me me. I like that. Yeah, and give them a chance to prove it. Yeah, that's... Which even goes back to be merciful. Mm-hmm. Right. That's awesome. I really like their spin on the litany. It really is. It, Every one of them. They're great. Oh, the howlers are super cool. I just, what the hell? <laughs> and, you know, maybe part of that also is when we talk about the redemption angle, we talk about the picts and the, mm-hmm. the, the legend and the, quote, mystery of the picts. Great. You know, uh, you know, you talk about that, um, 
you know, the different the different aspects that are, that are appealing, but then there's also the they didn't live long enough to fuck up bad enough for us to turn on them. <laughs> That's fair. Because once they I'll fucked up, they became the spirals, right? Yeah, I'll so they're a different angle. thing. <laughs> so you can't make fun of them like you do every other tribe. Except the Red Dillons. You know, they, I mean, you can point, with every other tribe, you can point to, to times in history where they'd unfucked up. Mm-hmm. That mistakes were made. You can't, you can't do that with the Howlers because the time they made the mistake, they were done. Yeah, that's the only it was time the end. ever. And yeah. <laughs> they get to fuck up once. And that was it. And Everybody else gets to fuck up multiple times. And now we have a constant reminder. True. Of the fuck up. No, it's a pretty big fuck up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Is it a fuck up though? Well, I mean, they were doing their job. I mean, yeah. I can't even really call it a fuck up. They were doing their job, and well, unfortunately, the worm won. Well, I guess here's here's something for you though. And I mean, this is a, this is a situation we can't prove. It's purely speculative. But if I'm Karurik, right, and I'm at the tip of the spear, and I'm in this temple of bad news, bale fire, and bullshit, it's the three Bs, <laughs> and I see Gnarl Claw or whoever, cool name, you know, twenty feet ahead of me, and he does this weird shit, and now his fur's green, and he's got bad ears, and he's all fucking drooling. Maybe instead of following him. <laughs> I throw a spear and go home. Yeah. I go, we need to rethink this. The last tenant. A tactical retreat is fine. In fact, in, again, in, in the book, they didn't just move in immediately. That's true. They said, we need to fucking think this through first. And then they didn't. <laughs> no, they did. It just look, they tried other options. Other options didn't work. So instead of going, oh, I guess we just leave it, they said, we are white howlers and we're going to do our job. Even if. It's kind of badass, though. It is badass. It's metal. But I'm just saying, if I'm Karurik and Narrowclaw just just derped himself into oblivion, maybe we don't keep going. So maybe it is their fault. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't None know. of us were there. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. So <laughs> fucking armchair quarterback. A couple thousand years in advance. Look out for me. It's a good thing you have all these other books to get all that knowledge from. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, what do, you, what do you think, Case? I think it's left intentionally vague for storytellers to make of what they will of it. And I know that's a total wishy-washy answer, but you know, if you want to play up the, the White Howlers as you know, glory-hungry, combat the worm wherever it dwells, and you know, torpedoes be damned, full speed ahead, then you've got it right there. But like you said, they took time, they explored options, and when all other doors were closed to them, they said, fine, we're here to fight the worm. We need to fight the worm. No one's going to help us do it, so it's up to us. It's really like it has always been up to us. Solid. I like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Case, and find something extra awesome to say for the end. <laughs> I, I will do my best. Excellent. That is super metal. But, you know, they weren't alone with all that. I mean, of course they were, but they had Lion and this brute. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was all good to do. So it's not to take away from them. But White Lion. Well, and this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Is that we know that after the fall of the Howlers, Lion ended up getting scooped into Griffin's brood. And in fact, it mentions how Griffin 
was antagonizing the shit out of Lion after the fall. <laughs> it gets in the Howler book. Yeah. Yeah, to, you know, to kind of keep him from fading away. But here's the thing is that, and this is where we talk about, we get a little bit, we dip our toes into advanced spirit play. Because Lion is Lion is Lion, but Lion is not Lion. It's, okay, yes. So Lion is so, not. Are you Lion? No, I'm telling the truth. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. Lion that Simba follows, that the Simba follow. So not that one. Is not the same lion as the lion that is in Griffin's brood, which is in, in that lion both is and is not the same lion <laughs> that was the totem of the White Howlers. That lion was, was represented by Cave Lion, who we will heretofore refer to as White Lion. Okay. For the, you know, just for ease. Jesus Christ, yeah. There's a lot of different lions. What's the thing is they're all. Part of the same being, but different aspects of the same. Thing. I was gonna say, is it just so different aspects of that spirit? Would the same way that there is a Wolverine totem, and when we go to Access Monday, and I forget his name, there is a named Wolverine. There is a second Wolverine totem with a different. Name. He's, he has a different name. The same reason. The same way that uh, you could look at, say, Fox as a totem, but it's not Kitsune. Okay. Yeah. What about Bear and Bear? Mm-hmm. Why, why would Bear bless totems when the Garu fucking put the boots to the girl in a pretty spectacular fashion? Why would Coyote, mm-hmm. you know, bless the, you know, it's, it's not all the same, but it is all the same. It's just different aspects of them. It, it is. You know, it's the same guy, but it's not the same guy. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the Trixie spirit shit, which we will get into in the future. <laughs> but it's important <laughs> to note that it's not the same lion. So again, white lion, Yes. <laughs> and White Lion had a hell of a brood. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm laughing at the nose here. They associate the name with the big cat from the African continent, whereas the Howler's patron, however, has only a distant relation to the savannah feline. Instead, Lion is the spiritual representation of Cave Lion, a massive beast that preyed on prehistoric elephants and cave bears before it went extinct thousands of years ago. So that aspect of Lion is the White Howler's totem. Is we, again, White Lion, for simplicity's sake. Now, his brood... (laughs) Weird. Some of these are weird that you'd never think would be part of the brood. But varied also, and that's the thing, is when when the Howlers fell, that spirit brood kind of got scattered to the four winds. Mm -hmm. Some fucked off entirely, some went other places, and some fell also. Oh, some fell. So we can discuss that for a minute, because spirit broods are neat. Um, yeah. Like, you look at, like, elk, right? Elk would probably be one of those animals that they would, that the that lion would have been preying on. But yet, sure. st- still part of the brood. Well, I mean, not for nothing, wasn't it uh, uh, Cuckoo, who was part of Fenris's brood? So yes. Shit happens, is my point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's also about... I see spirit brood sort of encompassing not only some symbolic synergies, but also ecological synergies. So you only have a predator and prey cycle as in all in the same brood. You'll have symbolic synergies within the same brood. So you'll have elk, i.e. moose, in with lion because it's a predator-prey relationship. Well, and that, that's, that's, go ahead. You wouldn't necessarily have two predators. That's why, like, say... Cave bear 
and White Lion aren't in the same group. Solid point. Well, and to, let, let's add to that. You know, we, we double back on the relationship the White Howlers have with the dead. So as a prey animal, as food, surely the relationship um, would have a bit more respect, um, a bit more reverence than your average guy. Right. And especially, you know, since they emphasize that the Howlers have kept to a less agrarian, not completely hunter-gatherer still, but less agrarian than, say, the Fianna of, of Romano-British Britain or, you know, continental Europe by this time. Um, you're talking, you know, large-scale farming by the Romans. Hmm. So, yes, you'd have this, this respect for the predator-prey relationship and the whole, the whole cycle of everything. Oh, absolutely. You know, it just, uh, it, it seemed like a great point to, to back you up there because, I mean, you're absolutely right. Now, what happened to Elk? As in, as far as, like, modern times? Yeah, well, I mean, what, yeah, what happened after, what happened after? Trocious Elk was weakened by the corruption of those he had given his patronage to. Now he rarely is convinced to serve as a totem Nagaru, fearing another betrayal. Which, I mean, makes sense. You know, um, Elk's... It still exists, so there's that. <laughs> still there, but yeah, like the, I mean, good luck. You're not getting them. Probably not. No, no. it's a paranoia thing, and, maybe. And in a way, it also plays to the natural behavior of moose. They're incredibly shy. Oh, to, to, to get close to them is nearly impossible. Uh, on you know, walking through the woods, they'll hear you and they'll ghost away, ghost you. Mm. Uh, the only way I've been able to get close to him is in a canoe on water, and you paddle up to him. Oh, shit. <laughs> like they're hanging out in their boathouse, and... Oh, they're, you know... <laughs> they're up to their... You know, they're standing there in the water. And you paddle up to them, and you can hear them chewing the plants, because they're used to people, to a certain degree, in the water, and they know you're not a threat, because you're there just to watch. Hmm. Also, they could just knock you over, and you're fucked. That, you know, when they climb out of the water, you're like, holy crap, these things are like horses in size. You know, they're not, they're not your white-tailed deer. I, I have been told, and you can confirm or deny this, I think, um, that uh, there, there are parts of New England that there's, there's a large population of moose where there are, there are warning signs. Mm. You know, like there's the beware of deer crossing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like moose. But apparently, this, the fuckers are so tall, they're so big that often you will just see the legs. Well, it, oh, so the best part is, is that the legs are um, usually lighter colored than the dark, dark brown bodies. So the legs, if in the wintertime, the legs kind of disappear into the snow on the side of the roads, and your headlights shine right under their bellies, so you typically don't see them until their body is folded up in your windshield. Oh, oh my God. See, I wasn't making that up. <laughs> I, Danny was looking at me like I'm so full of shit. Like I was not making <laughs> I've never that up. Heard that before. No, my my yeah. my mother told me that they did a they did like a road trip or whatever mm-hmm. thing. And yeah, and there's there's moose crop, you know signs much like in the Midwest. You've got all the deer crossing signs. You've got them here in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. That's nuts. Where where there's a bunch of moose, and they get that big. <laughs> apparently, oh, I had never thought, but yeah, apparently they're. They're six and seven feet at the shoulder. Wow. Fucking hell. <laughs> right? We'll take out a semi. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then I guess kind of bouncing off that, you have uh, 
roe deer, who's a, a totem of wisdom. What the Sam hell is a roe deer? A distant cousin to stag, roe deer finds a way to ensure others may survive, even in the harshest of climates. Didn't do a great job. <laughs> the embodiment of fe- feminine providence in the wild, an untamed precursor to the green and hearth goddesses. We're just bouncing off the, the deer here. No, no, so it, was, it, was, it, was, it was good what you did. <laughs> but you didn't do a good job. Well, you know, where are the howlers today? <laughs> Roe deer was struck hard by the fall of the howlers, and her place was largely subsumed by stag. Now good exists, yes, yeah, but, but now exists as Griffin's brood, hmm. or under Griffin's brood. So she went with, uh, she went lion. Hmm. I'm surprised she didn't go to stag's brood. It does seem odd, though, that Roe Deer did not go to Stag's Brood, because the, one of the pack traits is that the Fianna are well disposed towards the packs that follow Roe Deer. Well, maybe, and I am speculating here, but if memory serves, you look at Axis Mundi, and Stag has quite the family of aspects of him. Yes. Including mate in, in children versions of him. Mm-hmm. I remember that one. So maybe he just thought they were full. <laughs> Alright. Well, I guess the other other one I want to bring up, I mean, there, there are a few here, but like, I guess ones that just stuck out, and you said ones that fall. Well, there's a couple that fall. Like, yeah, but I guess the one that stuck out to me the most was uh, Green Dragon. Okay, yeah. When the White Hollers roared into battle, few could stand before their might and bravery. Those who followed Green Dragon were among the fiercest of the fierce, refusing to consider defeat as the option. <laughs> Badass. Oh yeah. Yeah, they come with a neat little uh little bonus. As uh followers of uh, they can breathe fire. <laughs> you follow Green Dragon straight up. Thrice every bre- day, Green yep. Dragon's followers can breathe fire. Yep. Wow. Out to the range of six yards. Wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> a long flamethrower. And two ag damage? Plus two ag damage? It's pretty cool. Or is, right? it, is it just two? Well, two levels of aggravated okay. damage. Yeah. <laughs> Three times a day, so you could still kill somebody with that. <laughs> but if you run away from a fight, you don't get your fancy dragon breath. That's true. Oh, yeah, so... yeah, And, and that brings that's, up that's the you know, green dragons' yeah, ferocity true. and refusal to back down played a large part in the Howler's decision to charge the labyrinth. Hmm. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. green dragon did switch sides on us. We lost ah. And if I remember correctly, is currently, I mean, I mean, is a powerful totem for the other side. Very. But is also Zizek's personal totem. Oh, no shit. I believe Yes. Yeah, he's in Whipper World Brood, so. I like Whipper World, but that's not today. Right, that's, that's next week. That's next week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, which is funny, because, I mean, obviously, I guess it wasn't detailed until this book. Mm-hmm. Because I swear, like, if this whole time those writing the books knew that Zizek could goddamn breathe fire, it would be brought up. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. So, you know, she's already so tough she could kill you and Hamid. She could breathe fire, too. She could breathe fire? (laughs) And I'm just going to assume because of her rank, it's Balefire. I was going to ask that. You beat me to it. I was going to say, you think that's Balefire coming out of her mouth instead of just regular fire? (laughs) I mean, really, no, because technically Balefire is like an apalm, but... Just make it green, whatever, it's fine. Just make it green. 
Just call it Balefire. Yeah, we can just call it Balefire. It's okay. Just for the lore. Breeze Balefire. Holy fuck. See, it sounds way cooler. It does. Let's just leave it in. Thrice a day. (laughs) Zhajak Breeze Balefire. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like to think, because she's such a badass, Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that it doesn't factor into anything she does. So she's just like, she uses it to heat up lunch. <laughs> like, it's that not big of a deal for her? <laughs> well, her lunch is garu, so. Well, whatever, you know. Garu grilled cheese. Yum. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, another one that, uh, when we talk about the the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. There was just ones that stuck out to me. Uh, what else did you have as far as the fall? Well, I, I definitely at least wanted to talk about uh, Gallia. Okay. Who uh, was an ancient fertility goddess, uh, embodiment of creative energy, a matron spirit of artists, crafters, performers, and the like. So not maybe the first thing you think of mm-hmm. when you when you go to uh, to the White Howlers. No, it definitely wasn't the first thing I thought. <laughs> but here's the thing: when they fell, she fell hard. Okay. And um, did she hurt her face when she fell? You angel. <laughs> <laughs> She still exists today, but has been tainted, and now and is now known as. Um, I'm do my best here. Yeah, good luck. Garuga, the Garuga. demon goddess, also referred to as the mother of veins. Well, shit. <laughs> Going back to that fertility. Gotcha. Holy hell. Yeah. So, fuck. <laughs> Another oh, deep cut, a big loss. Another nifty parallel here. She's described as a fiery fertility goddess and as a patron of artists, crafters, and performers. There's some very strong parallels with the Celtic goddess Breed, which would be a Fianna totem. She's also fire and blacksmiths and things like that. So I could see, is Gallia perhaps a part of Breed? Much like White Lion and Lion are the same but not the same? Or is there a more intense rivalry now in the spirit realm between the two totems and their followers? That's a really good point. That's awesome. I mean, gun to my head, I like the rivalry idea better. But Mm -hmm. either one is a perfectly valid option. Hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. You could have, you know, I don't know, epic rap battles between followers of Bree and (laughs) Valia. Oh, no. Danny, how would that sound? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All right, that's enough. Don't get us sued. Right? <laughs> Man, think of another beat. Or he just does that to, to avoid having to rap. He does. Yeah. So exactly. It's the only beat I know. <laughs> oh, my God. It's also a joke, by the way. <laughs> Where are we off to next? Well, we, we could talk of uh, the, the camps. That's just, I think, a quick thing. Yeah, um, make it quick. You know, there were only three of them. Oh, uh, well, that's good. Yeah, and and really, they were a result of the great winner. They were the result of a great winner, pretty okay. much. Which makes sense because they ran into the three tribes. And, yeah, and they, you know, they they had to migrate. They separated. Things happened. So you had the uh, Odaria, known also as the Silent Ones and the Deaf Ones, hmm. and I call them the interesting ones. Okay. Um, they served as a direct conduit between the White Howlers and the dead. 
you know, the uh, ghost of the ancestors, comrades, enemies, you give it a name, this was their job. Uh, you know, all the tribes shared that sacred duty to honor those who had come before um, and to ensure, you know, the dead do no harm in the living, but the, the Bedaria took this role to a whole, they, they upped the game. Huh. They took this shit professional. Um, for one, they uh, would perform rituals to pay homage on those who'd gone before. But, um, you know, they'd supervise burials, help the dead return peacefully when necessary, you know, put down the hammer. But they would undergo um, scarification, like ritual scarification. Um, they thought the body modification was a symbol of dedication to the path. So they'd do shit, like they might brand themselves with hot coals and then oh, rub shit. pigments into the healing, into the wound, so that it would stain the pattern permanently out of the skin. Oh, like as if healing is yeah. still a constant reminder? Yeah, so you know, like the, you know, you burn yourself, and here, here's some red and some blue, and I'm going to rub that shit into the wound. Why it's healing. So now you got the red and the blue on your scar tissue. Which Infection. is... Well, well it's, it's... I could soak it. Uh, That's true. Again, it's more of a, once it's healed, a constant reminder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so yeah, shit like that. Um, they, and they would continue to do this. Like, continual modifications uh, would, uh, is they make deals with various spirits... It was like considered an honor to uh, to give rest to an unsettled ghost by making a sacrifice of one's own form. So you'd have, you know, they they take an eye or they cut off a finger. Jesus, you know, um, they yeah, they just ritually scar the shit out of themselves. Which fucking, that's, I mean, that's hard. That's, that's hardcore. Yeah, that's it's fucking it's a little badass. Yeah, and like I should have done that one last because, <laughs> like I said, they were called you know the interesting <laughs> ones. <Yeah. laughs> You, uh, you also had the, the McTire, going to say, okay. which were the children of the wild. And um, they were the, the like the fiercest and most feral of the Howlers. It was like the, the Red Talons of the Howlers. Ah, or it. rather, I would actually, maybe the Red Talons were the McTire light. Mm, oh. It might be like that. Um, they claimed that they were, that the founding members never left Caledonia during the Great Winter. So, like, the Ice Age hit, and they said, fuck it, this is our land, we live here. Well, they did specify in there that they were mostly the wolfkin that stayed behind in the cairns and seps to guard them. Exactly. They don't just take lupus. They'll take metis, too. It didn't say anything about Hamid. But, of course not. <laughs> but well, a medicine could prove himself. Right, exactly. But this is the thing, because even after the Ice Age, um, if, if you wanted to join them, you had to leave all your belongings behind travel into the wildest depths of Caledonia and track one of their packs to convince their leader of your value. Hmm. A few ever returned, <laughs> whether they were accepted or not. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, they don't hate humans or have them They see, they, they understand they have a place. So it's not like that. But they find that they're, it's their duty to protect and promote the needs and best interests of the lupus members and of the wolfkin. You know, they also were big on protecting those cairns located far removed from human populations. So again, those guys that were just, there's two of us here, and we're just going to sit here and make sure. Mm-hmm. And then the um, finally you had the Totates, who were kind of the other side of that. Is that they were uh, a loosely woven band of packs who were dedicated to the various human tribes of kinfolk. Basically, that's about that. They, they were dedicated to... Protecting the human side of things, where the uh, McTire took care of the the wolf side of things. So, really, the least interesting one. <laughs> I mean, they were awesome, 
But again, the fact that so many of them went south mm-hmm. for you know to deal with the Romans probably had a lot to do. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. You know, like hey, if some of them had stayed back, maybe things wouldn't have turned out like they did. But that's that, and I mean it's it's important because it was you know who the tribe was before they all united to take care of the the threat that they understood was looming within within them. But uh, you know we didn't make a need to make a meal out of it. What I would like to talk about, and I think this is a great way to to end up for the episode, is is we we talk about practical application in terms of a modern day setting, aka don't, and here's why. <laughs> I mean, just don't do it. I and I mean, look, I mean, we could also we could also talk about if you're gonna maybe how to do it. You know, um, like our good friend Charybdis. Once upon a time, this isn't White Hollow related, mm-hmm. but you know how I feel about Zoo Force and Mixed Pharah Garu packs. Sure. He and I, you know, we, we talked about it. We came up with a perfectly acceptable way to add a Bastet into a pack of Gadafenris that didn't shit on anything, you know, that respected the lore. So, as an experiment, can we do that for the Howlers too? Maybe. But I will say, you know, they talk about bringing the Howlers back, possible scenarios in this book. Really? Okay. You know, they talk about genetic fluke. They talk about getting Lion Revan to go again. That's about... And then uh, alternate scenarios of, well, they never fell. And you can do that, and that's just so much fucking work. We're not even going to talk about it. No, the one black spiral in Erebus. There's could, that nugget. There, there could be that nugget, too. I mean, you still need a... You still need the... You still need a totem. Right. right. And again, we go back to Lion for a second. And uh, it's weird I didn't mention it at the time. <laughs> but if you look in the first Umbra book, when they talk about the tribal homelands, they talk about the White Howler slash Black, tri- Black Spiral tribal homeland. And we'll hear about this in the future. But it does speculate in that first edition that somewhere lost within that homeland is White Lion himself chained, you know, captured. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's only in the one. Huh. So I don't, I don't think it was reprinted in the second edition. But Chained and refusing to go to their side. Well, he's, just, he's captive because, yeah, he ain't doing nothing. He ain't going, he ain't trading on shit. <laughs> so, I ain't no snitch. Yep. <clears throat> you don't want stitches. So, you know, there, there is that. And I mean, I think, and again, as we mentioned earlier, the dangers of bringing back the white howlers are trying to. Mm-hmm. Is that if your players are directly involved in this, if they are successful, this is what the game is about now. Yeah, there's no other possibilities anymore. Unless you drop it entirely or you write that ultimately they fail. But, you know, to say, and we'll use you guys as an example, if, if uh, Crimson Ghost and, and Jaeger, if you guys decided, right, and you do all the shit necessary, all the fucking busy work, and it should be like a chronicle long fucking least, thing, yeah. let's not screw around here. And you free White Lion from those, uh, from from the the tribal homeland, you you free him up, and now he's a totem again. That may be a tribal totem. Maybe not that. Maybe Baby quote steps. white lion is a pack totem at first, while you build up enough people to form a tribe. That sounds reasonable. But what have you done? First of all, that's your pack totem now. Half the Garu Nation are furious about this. You I'm can sure. decide which half, but half of them, you are the enemy. Yeah, how period. Dare you you are kill on sight to red talents because you can't tell me that Griffin is going to look kindly to you yanking a member of his brood <laughs> that he worked hard to bring over in the first place. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. 
So now your game come is now about preserving and growing the White Howlers and nothing else. Because that job is too big and too important and will take too long. That's not something you resolve a week after you win the Chronicle. Oops, there's a hundred of us now. We're fine. Nah. And even if there was... You're still hunted by the spirals constantly. You're still hunted by the talents <coughs> constantly. And half the nation wants you dead. Bottom line. I miss a beat there, Kaysen? No, and it's... And are you really the White Howlers again? It's the problem with anything that's Reconstructionist. You don't know what they were like 2,000 years ago. You don't, there's not a, you know, how to be a White Howler book laying around or that White Lion even has anymore. I got a book. Because the spirit. <laughs> right. I mean, we all have a book. Nice. <laughs> Sorry to wait like you. But I'm sure totem spirits change with their. You know, their followers over time and how they proceed. So White Lion of today may not be White Lion of 2,000 years ago. And on a, a bit of a tangent, if you allow White Howlers to come back, then you've opened up the gate for the Grander, for all the other dead Pharah, for all the other dead tribes, and it's... Well, suddenly death is meaningless. Yeah. Right, and, and you come back to you've lost the lessons that these stories are to teach. Exactly. And to build on your point, you're right. Um, getting Releasing White Lion, making him your pack totem again, you're right, it doesn't bring the White Howlers back. You know, at that point, you're playing the game, trying to hold on to what's there so that someday there might be White Howlers. So you shouldn't even get the fucking benefits. No. Right. No, I mean, I say no as in I am agreeing with you. You shouldn't get that stuff. Plus, the apocalypse is coming... The last guru have been born. Right, and nobody got time for that. <laughs> you don't have 20, 30, 50 generations to build up a tribe. Even if everyone said, hey, this is a great idea. All the guru come together and say, you know what? We're going to contribute guru, some of our cubs, to, be, to make your tribe. All of a sudden, you're just this mishmash, potpourri <laughs> tribe now. It's not, there's nothing cohesive other than your totem. And even colorful. then, <laughs> colorful. It would be colorful. Well, and then here's one for you, too, then. Because this is more fun this way. What about, what about a scenario where, you know, Karurik did his thing and he passed the word. And, you know, time had passed since then. He was long dead by the time that the, the rest of the, you know, the entire tribe fell. This wasn't an overnight sort of thing. So what if during one of the last hours, you know, where the time where King... Uh, Brenna, you know, was doing his bit. What if they took a, a small contingent of white howlers and sent them off to the Umbra with, like, bear blankets and shit, and there they went into a slumber only to come out of an umbral pocket realm next Tuesday? Hmm. What about that? Well, you've got a whole pack of Ronin that have come out um, yeah. of the Umbra. I mean, if you're looking at it from a modern Guru Nation perspective. No, I... Porter's got, like, a shit-eating grin. You said exactly what he was hoping you'd say. <laughs> All right, I walked into it, but no, exactly. I think it's it's a better way to do it because you know you're going to have people who go, well, what if I, what if this, what if that, what if that, mm -hmm. and like we can't tell you how to play your game, but I don't know, like welcome to the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> like at the same time, uh -huh. there there are holes to be poked in these situations and these scenarios, and like look, I get it. The White Howlers sound cool as hell, and I'd love to play one, but that's not going to happen because they're all dead, and if they aren't all dead, then they're not the White Howlers. Only way is a time period piece. Exactly. And shit, I ain't writing that. <laughs>
But I thought it was better to, you know, bring about that through offering the scenario and having you tear it apart. <laughs> I thought that was more fun. <laughs> the gift wrapped it for him. Yeah, you know, it's a little, it's like an underhand, a little, it's like a wiffle ball thing, you know? T-ball. It was already there. <laughs> <laughs> he set it on the stand. <laughs> I'm like, here you go. Swing, swing hard. <laughs> but uh, I guess final thoughts on the Howlers. I, I think we said it enough times. They're fucking cool as hell, but... I love their story. It, it is. It's a cool story. It's a cool history lesson, and, and I think it's got to stay that. It's an absolute lesson. You only learn from your mistakes. Yeah. So don't make the same mistake twice. And bringing it back takes away that lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It undercuts it completely. Kason? Uh, I thought this book was very well written. They tried to cover a lot in a short piece. But yeah, it's it put a really good spin on the White Howlers. It made them playable. It did not in any way try and become a Black Spiral dancer handbook or glorify their sort of descent into spiraldom, you know, kind of trying to be edgelordy sort <laughs> of stuff that so yeah, no, I, I really liked it. It would let me get my uh, Wraith on. If I played in one of these games, which would be super cool. So, yeah. All right. And, uh, yeah, from Final Thoughts from you, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I want to mimic the, the stuff that you guys said. I mean, the, the Howlers are definitely badass, and it's totally understandable why people want to extend that legacy and, and take on that role. But, I mean, I urge folks to, to not for all of the reasons we brought up today. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to play that alternate setting game, awesome. You want to you want to play that um, period piece, awesome. Even if you want to do the the weird umbral thing, just make sure they die. I mean, they'll still have their gifts. You don't own their gifts, so have those five garu show up for an arc specifically to die. This way, you can preserve it and have your little fun if you need to do that. But again, we encourage you to let the legacy sit and honor that legacy. Solid. Now that said, stick with us. Next week, we're gonna dive into the Temple Obscura. Oh shit. <laughs> And Bear the Black Spiral Labyrinth, why we uh, explore the Fallen Tribe. What came next? Kaysen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. You know, you are welcome here anytime. Um, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. And that said, for the rest of us, here on behalf of Mr. Uh, Tommy Dixon and Daniel Tyson, uh, we want to thank you for tuning in, for all your support. Um, you know where you can find us, the Discord, the website, RageacrossInternet.com. Dot com. Dot com. Excellent. <laughs> and, uh, say thank you once more to make sure to uh, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, keep your claws sharp, your head on a swivel. Take it easy. <laughs>